Our text for this afternoon is the summary of God's Word as we confess it in Lord's Day 43. And we will read that now, Lord's Day 43. Question and answer 112. Sorry, I don't know how 43 got there. It should be uh, Lord's Day 27. Probably a typo on my part. Lord's Day 27. Lord's Day 27, question and answer 72. Does this outward washing with water itself wash away sins? No, only the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit cleanse us from all sins. Question and answer 73. Why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins? God speaks in this way for a good reason. He wants to teach us that the blood and spirit of Christ remove our sins just as water takes away dirt from the body. But even more important, he wants to assure us by this divine pledge and sign that we are as truly cleansed from our sins spiritually as we are bodily washed with water. And our final question, question and answer 74, should infants too be baptized? Yes. Infants, as well as adults, belong to God's covenant and congregation. Through Christ's blood, the redemption from sin, and the Holy Spirit who works faith are promised to them no less than to adults. Therefore, by baptism, as sign of the covenant, they must be incorporated into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of unbelievers. This was done in the old covenant by circumcision, in place of which baptism was instituted in the new covenant so far. Brothers and sisters, do you know why you were baptized? For those of you who have grown up in a Reformed church, I'm sure you have a pretty good idea about when you were baptized. We belong to a federation of churches that practices infant baptism. So it's probably safe to say that within a few weeks or perhaps even a few days of your birth, you received the sign and seal of baptism. As a result, the question that we're asking affects young and old alike, children and adults. It seems like an obvious question for a Reformed believer. Why were you baptized? Yet there seems to be a lot of confusion about the sacrament of baptism. There are many believers raised in Reformed churches who have a tough time seeing a significant difference between what we confess and those who practice adult-only baptism. After all, many of these well-meaning believers have a strong desire to be faithful to the Lord and in many areas share our confession of Scripture Much like the Reformed believers that baptize their infant children, these Christians dedicate their children to the Lord. 
and and at about the age that our young people do profession of faith, many of their children are baptized. So what's the big deal? Is their practice really all that different? Because on the surface, it really doesn't look that different. It seems that very little separates us. But is that an accurate picture of reality? To answer that question, we need to be clear on why we baptize our children. And why we're called to baptize our own children. Therefore, I preach to you God's word under the following theme and points. Baptism applies God's promise for our comfort. And we will observe how baptism applies God's promise and to whom baptism applies God's promise. Before we begin, it would be a good idea to remind ourselves of what we confess in the previous Lord's Day, in Lord's Day 26. There, it tells us what is signified and sealed to us in our baptism. The water of baptism signifies and seals to us as surely as water washes away the dirt from the body, so certainly His, that is Christ's, blood and spirit, wash away the impurity of my soul, that is all my sin. So baptism deals with a central teaching of Scripture, namely the forgiveness of sins. It goes on to teach that it was Christ's blood poured out on the cross that cleanses us from all our sin and that the Holy Spirit renews us and sanctifies us as members of Christ, making us alive to Him and dead to sin. So Lord's Day 26 deals with the rich content of God's promise in baptism. And it brings us to the very heart of the gospel. The good news that we find in Mark 16, verse 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. It's at this point that many well-intentioned believers will say, See, baptism is not for infants. It's for believers. This text and others indicate the need for those being baptized to believe, to have faith. And that's our point of departure for Lord's Day 27. Whereas Lord's Day 26 deals with the content of baptism, Lord's Day 27 deals with with the prom- of how the promises of baptism are applied and the subsequent question of who the promises of baptism are applied. But it's exactly this question of how baptism is applied to the covenant children of believers that has many questioning our practice of infant baptism. Many advocates of adult-only baptism think that the Reformed churches teach a form of baptismal regeneration. Baptismal regeneration is the belief that the element, namely the water, has the power to confer or give what it signifies. In other words, if the water of baptism signifies and seals to us the washing away of our sins, then the act of baptism actually accomplishes this. But brothers and sisters, this is not what we confess. No, this is the confession of the Church of Rome. But often we're found guilty by association. If it looks the same, the Reformed churches must be confessing the same thing. And so the authors of the Catechism have done us a favor 
by beginning with the question, does this outward washing with water itself wash away sin? In other words, does the act of baptism actually remove my sin or the sins of my children? For those raised in a Reformed church, this may seem like an elementary question. But at the time of the Catechism's writing, this was a current issue. The Church of Rome had long been teaching that through the administration of baptism, sin was actually removed. The doctrine known as baptismal regeneration was rejected by our Reformed forefathers and continues to be rejected by the Reformed churches today. No, baptism itself does not take away sins. To illustrate the point further, that the sign and seal of baptism does not itself give what it signifies, we might ask if giving someone a badge automatically makes them a police officer. Certainly a police officer who has done the appropriate training and been hired to a position as an officer of the law will be given that badge. But the possession of the badge itself does not guarantee his status as a police officer. No, the badge is a sign and seal of his status. It's not the badge that makes someone a police officer. Consider for a moment if I went to the dollar store and bought a badge for one of my children. Would that make them a police officer? Of course not. The point is that the badge itself does not give what it signifies. In the same way... The outward washing does not itself cause us to be cleansed from all of our sin. It does not give us what it signifies. The Catechism goes on to say that only the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit cleanse us of all our sin. Of course, most of us realize that baptism itself does not automatically give salvation. Yet often, we can act like this is true in practice and in our day-to-day walk. We can assume that because I've been baptized and grown up in the church, that I am automatically saved. This is known as covenant automatism. It's when I give little thought to how I live out my Christian life from day to day, showing much unbelief in what I say and do, and I go on to simply assume that because I've been baptized, that I stand in the good graces of God. And if this is how we live and talk, it's not surprising that our Baptist neighbors are skeptical about the practice of infant baptism. It gives us cause to stop and think. So then, if it's not automatic, then how are the promises of baptism applied? After all, Mark 16, verse 16 does say, Whoever believes... Yes, baptism is a sign and seal of what God promises to his covenant people. But faith is a necessary response to receive these gifts from our Heavenly Father. This is the point of the passage that we read in 1 Peter 3, verse 21. The epistle of Peter compares Noah's salvation through the waters of the flood to salvation through baptism. The flood waters sustained and supported Noah and his family, preserving their lives in the midst of God's judgment on an unbelieving world. There is also, verse 21 says, there is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Yes, 
the water of baptism, is intended to save you. Just like the waters of the flood saved Noah and his family. But the verse goes on to explain how that takes place. First it says that it is not like the removal of filth from the flesh. It's not automatic, brothers and sisters. No, baptism is rather the... Let's turn there to 1 Peter. 1 Peter 3, verse 21. It says in halfway through verse 21, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. Yes, that word answer is crucial to our understanding to understanding the significance of our reading. The one baptism is making an appeal to God that they will receive what they need in order to have a clear conscience toward God. One commentator states that this answer, which is often translated as appeal or pledge in other translation, refers to the seeking after God of a good and pure conscience, which is the aim of the Christian baptismal life. And the way that God works such a good conscience is by giving faith. Those who are baptized are promised God's good gifts God's gifts that will allow them to believe in Jesus Christ. The form of baptism elaborates on what those good gifts look like. When we are baptized into the name of the Father, God the Father promises to provide us with all good and avert all evil or turn it to our benefit. And it goes on to say, when we are baptized into the name of the Son, God the Son promises to wash us in His blood and unites us with Him in His death and resurrection. And finally, when God assures us in baptism by referring to the Holy Spirit, He says that He will dwell in us and make us living members of Christ, imparting to us what we have in Christ, namely the cleansing from our sins and the daily renewal of our lives till we shall finally be presented without blemish among the assembly of God's elect. With all these promises in hand, it is appropriate that the catechism goes on to ask the question, why then does the Holy Spirit call the baptism, call baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins? It's not that the water itself washes away the sin. Rather, it is because the infinite, all-powerful God of heaven and earth makes a divine declaration to the one baptized that He has secured salvation for his people through the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's a sign and a seal that when the one who is baptized believes that promise, then the Holy Spirit will be given to them in order to sanctify them and cleanse them from all their sin. That's what the Catechism says. He wants to teach us that the blood and Spirit of Christ remove our sin just as water takes away dirt from the body. When Peter had taught the people the significance of Christ's death and resurrection in Acts 2, the people cried out, What shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Through Christ's blood, we are cleansed from our sin, 
and through the Holy Spirit we are sanctified. But there's more, brothers and sisters. Not only does God want to teach us that what he has done for his people by means of the sacrament of baptism, he wants to assure us that if you are baptized, this promise is for you. The Catechism refers to baptism as a divine pledge. God Almighty makes a pledge to you personally that you are as truly cleansed from your sins spiritually as you are bodily washed with water. Brothers and sisters, do we we grasp the magnitude of this promise? All that is ours, promised to us by God himself, promised by a God who is holy and true to his word. Salvation is yours. It's in your hand. This <clears throat> Some of you may be wondering, because initially I said it's not automatic, but now I'm saying salvation is mine on account of the fact that God promised it. So what's the difference? It seems like it's automatic to me. To help make this crucial point clear, I invite you to imagine that there, are, there is a wonderful concert being put on by one of the most prestigious orchestras in the world. And for some reason, the conductor decides to give you a front row ticket to the opening show. He places the ticket in your hand. And he says to you, I want you to come. I'm personally inviting you to the opening show. It's more than just an invitation. The ticket makes it a reality. You have a seat at the concert. You have not yet sat in the seat, so the promise has not yet been actualized, but the seat is yours nonetheless. Baptism works much the same way. God assures us that His promise is real and it's ours. Do we believe it? That's the central question. Mark 16, verse 16 says, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. To receive the thing promised, one must believe. If you do not take the conductor seriously, thinking that the ticket is fake, then you lack the faith. Then your lack of faith will cost you the thing that is promised. Faith is the means through which God promises, God's promises are confirmed to His people. And this brings us back to the initial concern of our Baptist friends. The crucial point of difference is whether we believe God initiates salvation through baptism, calling a believer to faith, or whether baptism is a sign and seal of faith already displayed in the life of the believer. In other words, must faith precede God's promise of salvation in baptism? Should we understand Mark 16, verse 16, in a linear fashion, that one must believe and then be baptized? Or can we understand Mark 16, verse 16, to be teaching us that belief and baptism go hand in hand, but not necessarily in that order? If faith must precede God's promise of salvation through baptism, then those promoting adult baptism are right. And it's only a presumption on our part that we baptize our children. Particularly if they have not displayed faith. But that brings us to our second point, brothers and sisters. To whom are the promises of baptism applied? 
The Catechism anticipates this objection when it asks, should infants too be baptized? The answer is a resounding yes. Infants as well as adults belong to God's covenant and congregation. As proof text, the Catechism points to Genesis 17, which we read earlier. In Genesis 17, verse 7, God establishes a covenant with Abraham that would last forever. Much like the New King James Version, the NIV states, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. God impresses upon Abraham that his covenant was to be with him and his children forever. And following the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Israel as a nation ceased to be the exclusive covenant people of God. So who are the covenant people who continue in the line of God's everlasting covenant? Galatians 3 helps us to understand that those, who those children are. There it instructs us, Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Brothers and sisters, that means that you and I are children of Abraham and heirs to the promise of salvation. It's important to notice that Galatians refers to Abraham as the man of faith because it was by faith that Abraham too was saved, just like everyone who finds salvation in Jesus Christ. Faith is the vehicle. What's important to notice is that Abraham's faith precedes the covenant of circumcision. First, he believes, then God establishes a covenant with him. Romans 4 elaborates as follows. We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness he had by faith, while he was still uncircumcised. So circumcision, just like baptism, was a, God, was a sign of God's promises that Abraham received through faith. But that's not the end of the story, brothers and sisters. Following the establishment of the covenant to Abraham, our reading in Genesis 17 goes on to require that Abraham extend the sign and seal of the covenant to his children. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep, every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. The covenant was established with, that was established with Abraham was extended to his children, a sign of the promise given to children who had not yet come to the age of discernment. And isn't this the objection of many well-meaning Baptists? that the sign of the covenant is being given to those who may not yet have come to faith? So what about the New Testament? Don't we see the same pattern emerge when the sacrament of baptism is 
put in place. The initial calling was to believe and be baptized. Acts 2.38 says much the same thing when Peter calls the Jews to repent and be baptized. But Acts 2 goes on in verse 39 to declare that the promise is for you and your children. The covenant promises are not just for the adult believers. No, they belong to our children as well. That's why the Catechism states that through Christ's blood, the redemption from sin and the Holy Spirit who works faith are promised to them no less than to adults. That's significant, brothers and sisters. Through baptism, God himself promises our children redemption from sin and the Holy Spirit who works faith. The God of heaven is personally signifying and sealing to you and your children the promises of salvation. What can be more comforting and of greater value to a believer than the promise received in baptism? In contrast, the practice of dedication that is used in some churches pales in comparison to the riches that God extends to our children. Dedication is a promise by parents that they will encourage their children to believe the promises of God in the hope that when they come to faith, they will be joined to Christ and His church. The emphasis is not on what they have, but on what they hope to have. So it offers little comfort to parents, especially if their children should be taken from this life. The comfort of baptism is that it is a pledge by God Himself of His promise of redemption and the Holy Spirit, signified and sealed to us and to our children. They possess the covenant promises right now, today. That is why the Catechism goes on to insist that the children of believers must be baptized, stating, therefore, by baptism, as sign of the covenant, they must be incorporated into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of unbelievers. Parents, as members of the Church of Christ, our children have an honored place in this world. They have been set apart as holy, given the promises of salvation. How could any believer ever say, that I do not want that for my children. To reject baptism would be to spurn the very promise of God, the very promises of salvation. That's why Genesis 17 verse 14 takes such a hard line, stating that any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Beloved, that brings us back to our starting question. Why? Were you baptized? If you were born in a Christian family, you were baptized because the God of all heaven and earth wanted to personally apply his promises to you. He declares to you that he has secured salvation through the precious blood of his Son and that through his Holy Spirit he's able to cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. These promises are yours. If you came to faith later in life, having grown up outside the church, God confirmed the same promise to you simply at a later time in your life. But having received these promises as your own, they now extend to your children. Given what we have received, how could we spurn the rich promises of God by failing to baptize our children? No, brothers and sisters, believe 
And so continue to baptize your children, setting them apart as holy to the Lord, because the Lord promises them everything they need to be holy. Amen.